One of my favorite pastors said a long time ago that if he were ever marooned on a desert island and he was told he could only have one book of the Bible with him, that he would choose the book of Romans because Romans has so many great verses, so, such great theology in the book of Romans. And so he said, if I could only choose one book in the Bible, that's what I would choose. Well, I've thought a lot about that. I think if I were in a similar situation and they said to me, you can only have one book from the whole Bible with you on this island, I would choose the Gospel of John. And the reason I would choose John is because it has so many great stories about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. I mean, it is just Jesus from beginning to end. Not that Romans isn't. Romans is great too. But there's something about John that gives us insight into the person, the ministry, the heart, the soul of Jesus Christ. And so as we prepare in a few weeks to begin our study through the book of Revelation, that's beginning on May the 8th, I wanted to kind of ease into that study. Last week we studied about John himself, and tonight in one lesson we're going to do an overview of the Gospel of John. Now open your Bibles tonight to that book, and I want to show you two things right off the bat. First of all, I want us to see what is called the prologue or the beginning, kind of the preface to John's gospel. In John chapter 1, the first four verses give us the introduction to the person of Jesus Christ and to this gospel. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so here we have the beginning before the beginning. We think about the beginning being Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But did you know John 1-1 took place before Genesis 1-1? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And as we just read, it was through, the Word is a reference to Jesus there that it was through Jesus that the world was created. Now, I know we know that, but I want you to see it in the Scriptures tonight, that Jesus was around before the world was created. Jesus has always been, and He is the one who created the world. And so that's how John's gospel begins. Now, go to the end of the book, towards the end of it, in, Acts, in John chapter number 20. The last verse of the 20th chapter, we have the purpose of this gospel, the purpose of the gospel of John. And he tells us why he wrote this book. And it says, verse 31, these are written, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So the purpose for this book is to bring people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. This is why if a person is unsaved and they go talk to another Christian, many times the Christian will say to that person, read the Gospel of John. Read a chapter a day for three weeks or 21 chapters, and at the end of that three weeks, come back and talk to me and see what you think, because there's something about this gospel that was intended to bring a person to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so for me, if I could only choose one book, it would be the gospel of John. After all, here in this gospel, we have the most well-known verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, did you know that when Billy Graham was still living and when, when he was a little bit younger and he would be going around to the television stations and doing interviews like on Good Morning America or the Today Show, 
when he would get there for the interview and they would put his microphone on his tie and they would say, Dr. Graham, before we go on air, we need you to do a testing one, two, three, or say some words so that we can get the levels of, your, of this microphone just right. Dr. Graham would agree and they would say, okay, now give, say some words. He would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He always did that. And someone asked him one day, Dr. Graham, why don't you just say testing one, two, three? Why do you quote John 3.16 when they're asking you to test the mic levels? He said, well, I look at it like this. He said, during the interview, I might not have a chance to share the gospel. But by quoting John 3.16, at least the sound man will know how to get saved. And so it's, the, it's great. So, the, I mean, the greatest verse in all the Bible is in the Gospel of John. And so I think this is one of the reasons that I would choose this book to be my book. Now, the question is, how can we learn the contents of the Gospel of John? And what I'm saying here would be true for any of the 66 books in the Bible. And so I want to give you three words to jot down, and then we'll get to moving in this thing. But there are... Th- There are three ways to learn a book in the Bible. The number one way would be to learn as best as you can the structure of the book. How is the book put together? What are the major divisions in the book? And I want to illustrate that in three different ways. For example, in Paul's letters... This is not true for all, of thir- all 13 of Paul's letters, but for many of Paul's letters, this is true. For example, in Ephesians, Ephesians has six chapters. The first three chapters deal with theology. He's teaching us about God. He's teaching us truth. He's teaching us how to be saved. He's giving us doctrine in the, in the first half of many of his letters. The last three chapters in Ephesians would be very practical. In other words, in light of what I have told you, here is how you are to live your life. So again, in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, good doctrine about the sovereignty of God, the salvation of the human soul, how we get saved, how we're, you know, what we're to believe about God. Beginning in chapter 4, in verse 1, Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to have to walk worthy of your calling. In other words, in light of what I have just taught you about God, here's how you're to live your life. And so when you're reading Ephesians, if you're reading in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, we should be saying, now God, what are you saying? What is the teaching? What is the doctrine here? We get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, and we say, now God, how should I live my life in light of what I have learned here? So that's a major division. It doesn't hold true with all of Paul's letters, but in some of them it does. Now, I also want to illustrate that with Genesis and Revelation before we get into John tonight and show you how if you can learn the major divisions or the structure of a book, you're well on your way to knowing what this book is all about. Let's just take Genesis. Don't write any of this down. Just just think and try to visualize this. Genesis has 50 chapters. So what are the major divisions in Genesis? Well, chapters 1 and 2 are the creation. Chapter 3 is the fall of man. Chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. Chapter 5, the family of Adam. Chapters 6, 7, and 8 is all about Noah. There's read about the flood. Uh, And then in chapter 9 as well. In chapter 10, we read about the descendants of Noah through his three sons. 
the, called the table of nations or the descendants of, uh, of Noah. So again, 6, 7, 8, and 9, that's going to be about Noah. Those four chapters actually. 10 is about his descendants. Chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel. Now, beginning with chapter 12, if we were going to just study these Genesis through chapters, we would say chapter 12 is the call of Abram before he became Abraham, same man. But beginning in chapter 12 and through chapter 36, we have a major division that tells us about the life of Abraham, his son Isaac, and Isaac's son Jacob. Beginning in chapter 37 and through the end of the book, chapter 50, we read about the life of Joseph. And so if you get that in your mind, 12 through 36, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 37 through 50, Joseph. That is the big picture of the book of Genesis. And see, now, if you just have that in your mind, you would say, well, this book is not so intimidating. One of the things the devil wants to do in the lives of believers is to convince us that the Bible is so big and so complicated and so deep that we never can understand it, and it never will make any sense to us. And what I'm trying to say is, while there are acres of the Bible that I've not learned and much of the Bible that I myself have, don't, you know, don't understand all of it. The fact is, if we begin to study these books by their major divisions, then we say, well, hey, you know what? 25% or more than 25% of Genesis is about Joseph. And a big part here about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and there was Noah at the beginning. So it kind of begins to make sense to us. So that's Genesis. Go to the end of the, of the book, Revelation. And maybe when we get into our study, I'll, I'll walk through this again too. What, are the, what is the structure of the book of Revelation? What are the major divisions? Well, in chapter 1, we have a vision of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. John had this vision of Jesus. And also, he gives he had... We have in that chapter an overview of the whole book. Chapters 2 and 3 are talking about seven churches that were on the earth at the time that John wrote this and the challenges they were facing and what they were supposed to do to overcome those challenges. And it's very applicable to us today. That's chapters 2 and 3. Chapters 4 and 5 give us a view, a beautiful picture of heaven. That's what Revelation 4 and 5 are about. It's about heaven. The beginning of chapter 4 talks about the rapture of the church. And though for the next, so for the next two chapters, there we are in heaven and we're seeing all the sights up there. Chapters 6 through 19 talk about the seven-year period of great tribulation. Now think about it. We're going to study Revelation. The overwhelming majority, the majority of this book is about a seven-year period of time that if you're saved, you're not going to have anything to do with it. And yet, that's what the majority of the book is about, all the judgments and all the things that are going to happen. That's 6 through 19. Later on in chapter 19, the Battle of Armageddon. At, towards the middle of chapter 19, the Antichrist and the false prophet go to hell. At the end of chapter 19, the devil himself goes to hell. In chapter 20, the great white throne judgment, and everybody who's unsaved goes to hell. That's chapter 20. Chapters 21 and 22, it's about heaven. So if you just know what I just said, now all of a sudden you say, well, you know, I don't know everything about Revelation. I can't, maybe I haven't learned what all this stuff symbolizes. But I've got a big picture view, and I understand how that book is put together. I understand the structure. So we take that same principle and we apply it to the gospel of John and we say, how, how can I learn the structure of John's gospel? Well, I've already shown you the prologue or the beginning and I've showed you the purpose of the letter. 
so that people would believe. But look on your handout tonight. The structure of John's gospel is largely built around two major headings. And the first heading would be seven signs. In other words, John tells us about seven events in the life of Jesus, seven things that Jesus did. And before we get into this, go to the very last verse in the Gospel of John, the very last verse, chapter 21 and verse 25. Notice how John closes out this Gospel. He says, there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if, I, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And so Jesus did a lot of things that are not in the Bible. Only selected stories are told, selected things that Jesus taught. What, you know, what's in the Bible is what God wanted to be there. But what I'm saying is John, out of the whole of Jesus' life and ministry, identified seven signs, seven miracles, seven things that Jesus did to prove that he is indeed God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so there are seven miracles that the book of John largely revolves around. The purpose of these miracles is to show to people, hey, this, G- this, 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 this Jesus, whom we call a man, he is a man, but he's more than a man, he's God. Now, if I were teaching through the Gospel of John, this would be a seven-week study of these seven, and it would be, you'd be having a hard time getting it done then. But just look at what's on the list. Turning water into wine, healing a nobleman's son, healing a lame man at the pool of Bethesda, feeding the 5,000, walking on the water, healing a man blind from birth, raising Lazarus from the dead. Those are the seven miracles, the signs that prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the other part of the structure of John's gospel that we need to understand is that in addition to these seven signs, John points out seven I am statements that Jesus made. And in the making of these statements, Jesus was himself claiming to be God. You remember back in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter number 3 when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and God identified himself by the name I am. He said, that, my name is I am. Moses said, well, God, who shall I say sent me to, to uh, Pharaoh? God said, you tell Pharaoh that I am has sent me uh, to you. So in John's gospel, there's seven different times, major times, there's more than seven, but there are seven times that Jesus said, I am, and he used a metaphor, seven metaphors to tell us who he is. Now, let's just look at this. This would be seven more sermons. In fact, we've been doing a series in the book of John for a long time, and we've done all these in Sunday sermons. But let's just look at the big picture tonight. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. What was he saying? He was saying, I'm the one who will satisfy the deepest needs of your soul. He says, I'm the light of the world. In other words, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. He says, I'm the door of the sheep. Jesus was saying, if you want to get into heaven, you've got to walk through the door. There's only one door, and I'm that door. He also said, I am the good shepherd. And so he is our shepherd. And, and then he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's what he said right before he raised Lazarus from the dead. And then he says in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says in 15, I am the true vine. So there are these seven I am statements. I'm not saying you have to memorize all of those seven signs and seven statements. I'm saying if you do memorize it or super uh, familiarize yourself with that, 
all of a sudden, John's gospel will begin to make sense. It will begin to crystallize. You'll begin to understand his purpose in writing was to lead people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And the way he put it together were with these seven miracles and then these seven I am statements. Some of the I am statements are tapped into the miracles. Most of those are, these are separate events. So how do we learn a book in the Bible? How do we learn John? We begin right there by studying uh, the structure, the divisions, and that helps us. Now, you still listen? Say amen. The second word I wanted to give you tonight for how to learn a book in the Bible, the best way to study a book, is to study the book by chapters. By chapters. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. And when I was in school, I set out to learn all of them. And I stalled out somewhere and never did accomplish my goal. I have to confess that to you. And maybe I need to pick that back up. In all honesty, I don't even think a person should learn 1,189 chapters because there are large sections of those chapters that are grouped together. For example, in Exodus, you have a large chunk of chapters that are together, and they're talking about the construction of the temple. So I think, of the tabernacle. So I think if you just had an idea, okay, this, these chapters here are kind of talking about how the tabernacle, you don't need to know which, where the curtain was or where the showbread was or how, how everything was in the tabernacle necessarily, but you've got to have an idea. So what I'm saying is one of the best ways you can learn the Bible is to begin to identify key chapters in the Bible, key chapters. They're all good. All, the, 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 all of the Bible is inspired. All of the Bible is inerrant. But not all of the Bible is equally as important. There are some passages in the Bible that are telling us how long people lived. The fifth chapter of Genesis. This person lived this many years and he died. This many years and he died. This many years and he died. It's important. It's inspired. It's inerrant. But anybody that says those verses are as important as John 3.16 is not being rational. John 3.16 tells us how to go to heaven. These verses tell us how long somebody lived. It's, it, it's, not, it's not the same on importance. So what you want to do is to try to identify the important chapters. For example, let's go back to Genesis just for a moment, then we'll come into John. 50 chapters in Genesis. I don't think you necessarily need to know all 50 chapters. I gave you the division, the, the way to study that. But I think it would be a good idea if you knew chapters 1 and 2 were the creation. Chapter 3 is the fall of man. I think you should know that. Chapter 4, Cain killed Abel. I think you should know that. I think you should probably know in chapter 12 about the call of Abraham. I think you should probably know that. And 37 on is about Joseph. Now, you could learn a lot more, but if you just know that, you've done well. Let's, go to, let's do one other book. Let's just take Exodus. Exodus has 40 chapters. Well, what, of those 40 chapters, if you were asking me, John, what are the key chapters? Which chapters in Exodus should we be able to attach a number to something that happened. Chapter number in this event. Okay, here's how I would do that. Chapter 3, the burning bush. Very important. Chapter 12, the Passover. Extremely important. The Passover event. My dad's going to be preaching a sermon on Maundy Thursday night, the Thursday night before Easter, and the title of his message is How the Last Supper Became the Lord's Supper. He was telling me about that today. But it's all tied back in to the Passover in Exodus chapter number 12. I'll tell you another chapter you should memorize in Exodus is chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. Somebody says to you, where are the Ten Commandments? It would be a good idea if you just knew that. Now, nobody's going to ask you. 
but you should just know it because it'll help give you confidence in your knowledge of the Bible. So what I'm saying is as we go through the scriptures, we're not trying to memorize everything, but we're trying to identify key chapters. For example, um, David and Goliath. That's a major event in the Old Testament. Where is it? It's in 1 Samuel 17. So that would be a key chapter that you would want to... Daniel in the, Daniel in the, uh, in the uh, lion's den. Where is this? It's in Daniel. It's in chapter 6. I almost said chapter 3. Chapter 3 is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter 6 is Daniel in the lion's den. So what I'm saying is we're looking for key chapters. And if you take some of these Bible reading plans that we've put together through the years, what we were trying to do in the Old Testament, we're giving you all the New Testament, but in the Old Testament we're trying to identify key passages of Scripture so that you would know where these chapters are, where these key events are. You will never learn all of it, but we should be able to learn a fair amount of, of these things. Now, when we come to the Gospel of John, as I said, it has 21 chapters. Perhaps the best way to learn the Gospel of John would be to say, okay, what I want to do is I want to learn what is in every chapter. Now, that wouldn't be as hard as you think, especially when I illustrate it this way. Some of this you already know. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, Jesus said you must be born again. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. John chapter 5, the man at the pool of Bethesda, been paralyzed for 38 years, Jesus healed him. John chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000, he walked on the water. And so some of those are very key chapters. John chapter 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now in John's gospel... When we come to chapter 13, just remember this, beginning probably and even you could go back maybe to chapter 11, but for sure chapter 13, beginning in chapter 13, we're reading about the Thursday night before Jesus was crucified on Friday. And so the, this is true with all the gospel writers, but it's certainly true in John. The majority of what this book is about is the last few hours of Jesus' life before he died. John chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 are about Jesus in the upper room with his disciples having the Last Supper when it became the Lord's Supper. So that's, the, that's a major section of the book. That's four chapters out of 21 is in the upper room. Beginning in chapter 17, Jesus prays this prayer to God. The whole chapter is about a prayer. Chapter 18, Garden of Gethsemane. Chapter 19, He's crucified. Chapter 20, resurrection. Chapter 21, he restores Simon Peter after Peter had denied knowing Jesus. So that took 90 seconds to two minutes to say that. And, and I didn't cover all the chapters in that. But I'm saying that is a wonderful way to learn passage of scriptures in the Bible. So like if I were studying Acts, the book of Acts, how would you learn the book of Acts? Well, the way I would try to study that is to say in Acts chapter 1, we have the ascension. Jesus went back to heaven. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came down. But the structure, chapters 1 through 12, largely the ministry of Simon Peter. That's what you, what you have. Now, Paul was saved in chapter 9, but that notwithstanding, chapters 1 through 12 is about Peter mainly. Chapters 13 through the end of the book is about Paul. See, that's the book of Acts. It's that simple. First half's Peter, second half's Paul. His three missionary journeys. And so, now you feel like you have the book of Acts. Now, within that, you might want to know, for example, Acts 16 is where Paul and Silas were in the Philippian 
uh, jail. As I said, chapter 9 is where Paul was saved. Back to chapter 3, the lame man was killed, was healed at the gate beautiful there in Jerusalem where uh, he, he was begging and asking for money. Peter and John walked by. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That's Acts chapter 3. So in, yes, 27 chapter, 28 chapters, two major divisions. And yet within that, there are some chapters that I would say, you should know Paul got saved in Acts chapter 9. Paul and Silas were in a Philippian jail in chapter 16. That's an, if you just know that, Pentecost chapter 2 and the Ascension chapter 1. Okay, that's enough. You've got a feel for the book of Acts. So with the gospel of John... Now, in your Bibles, we all have different Bibles, and we probably have different translations. And all the translations bring something new and fresh and good, and I support all of them. The New King James is my favorite just because I came up on it. Much of what I've learned and memorized is from it, and I'm just too close to heaven to start a new translation now. (laughs) Because I tried a few years ago. I went to the bookstore, and I bought the New Living Translation, which is a fantastic translation. And I said, this is going to be my new translation. And I went home and I started reading verses. And some of the verses were just almost the same as the New King James. But it was just enough different to frustrate me. And so I said, I have to stay with the New King James. But I consult the New Living. I consult the NIV, the New American Standard. All the translations are good. But I would just encourage you on that. Whichever one speaks to your heart. I'm probably one of the few who would say, I like the Living Bible. It's not even a translation. It's a paraphrase. But it is easy to understand. I, I, I absolutely love the And one thing I like about the Living Bible, it's so different from the translations that you don't have to worry about unmemorizing verses that you've memorized slightly a different way. But what I was going to say is whatever translation you use, I would encourage you to make sure that your Bible has a print that's big enough to read. I've noticed as I've gotten older, my print is shrinking down. And I'm having to get the large print. But you want to get a good print, but also you want to get a Bible that has good division, like chapter headings. I've got some, like my living Bible doesn't have any chapter headings. That's the only thing that kind of drives me crazy when I try to read that, is I think, well, what's happening in this chapter? Whereas most of the Bibles I have have a heading, not just at the beginning of each chapter, but within each major section in that chapter. So headings are very important. And headings can be your friends. Now, remember this. When the Bible was first written, there were no chapter divisions, there were no verse divisions, and there were no chapter headings. All that came along much later. The chapters and verses came along about 500 years later, and I don't know when the uh, chapter headings, they just came along, I I guess, probably 1,000 years after that when they started printing the Bible and they put those headings in there. But when it comes to studying the Bible... There is something that God has given us that will help us, and that is numbers. If you're good in math, you will probably learn the Bible a little better than if you didn't like math. Because I would hate to think that I had to try to study the Bible every day and, and learn it, and, pre, and I didn't have all these numbers in there, these chapter. In, some people criticize the chapter and verse to be, well, this chapter shouldn't have been here. And I'm not saying that's not true in some cases. I'm just so thankful for these numbers because they help us associate things. Do you remember the story in Luke chapter 4? Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth on a Sabbath day, on a Saturday, and he went to church. He went to the synagogue. And while he was there, the Bible says he walked up to the attendant who was holding the Old Testament scroll... And, and he handed it to Jesus. Jesus took it from his hand. And Jesus unrolled the scroll. 
he took the scroll of Isaiah and he unrolled that book and he found the passage of Scripture that he wanted to read from with no numbers helping him out. Of course, he's Jesus. He can do anything. He wrote it to begin with, but, so he knows where it is. But can you imagine how difficult it would be tonight to open a scroll? And Jesus went to what we know is Isaiah 61. He just turned right, he just opened it up, read there about how the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come to set the captives free. It was a clear reference in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. And when he got finished, he rolled it up, handed it back to the attendant. The the Bible says everybody in the synagogue, their eyes were on Jesus. And Jesus said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You're all familiar with that passage that I just quote read about how it set the captives free, recovery of sight to the blind, those who are oppressed, freedom from all the bondage and so on. Jesus said, that passage was about me. And today it's been fulfilled in your hearing. And you would have think they would have said, welcome to earth, God in the flesh. We love you, Jesus. They got so angry they ran him out of his own town and tried to push him off the side of a hill. He walked through him and wasn't killed. My point is, if I were going to read that passage, thank God for the numbers. I can go to Isaiah 61 read about it. I can go to Luke 4 and read about it. So part of, as silly and even as, as uh, overly practical as this might sound, Part of what is required to learn more about the Bible is learning numbers. If you know numbers, you can learn the Bible. Now, I have said one way to learn the Bible, and especially books in the Bible, is to study the structure or the major divisions. Another way is to study the chapter divisions, what's in what chapter. Now, the best way, those are two great ways, and I think two necessary ways, but the way, those ways will help you get the Bible in your mind. I can't tell you how many times when I'm up here doing a sermon and I'm preaching about something, all of a sudden in my mind I will see number, like a number, like, like Psalm 4610 will come to my mind. Wasn't in my notes, hadn't planned on saying it. I know Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. So I can see those numbers in my mind and you know, just bring it right on in. And it it helps me in my teaching. So if you learn chapter divisions and if you learn the the structure, it's going to get the Bible in your head. But we don't just want the Bible in our head. What did the psalmist say? Your word have I hidden in my what? In my heart that I might not sin against you. See, that's Psalm 119.11. That's one of the verses that you would want to know. Now, the best way to get it in your heart is to start learning verses. And if you begin to learn verses in the Bible, now it's in your heart. See, just knowing 1 Samuel 17 is where David uh, fought Goliath, well, that's good to know. I mean, I'm glad I got that stored away. But if I go down there to about, I think it's verse 45, where David said, when Goliath was coming at him, David said, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of the armies of heaven. And right about that same place, David said, the battle is the Lord's. You see, if I'm going into a battle and I say, well, 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath, well, I'm not saying that couldn't help me, but if I'm going into a battle and I say, the battle is the Lord's, see, that that helps me. I say, this is God's battle and God's going to take care of me. And so it's the verses of Scripture that change our lives. I would go so far as to say this, if you choose to forego 
learning a structure or the major divisions of a book. If you choose to forego learning chapter divisions of a book, I would even say that's fine. But whatever you do, you got to learn the verses. Now, you don't have to learn all of them. There's over 31,000 in there. You can't learn them all. But find you some verses. If you know the verses, see, that's what God will bring to your mind. God, and I preached on this last Sunday about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. One of the things the Holy Spirit does, He brings to our remembrance all the things that God has taught us. All, he said all the things that Jesus taught those aside. But see, if we have hidden these verses in our hearts... And if we have committed them either to memory or at least, we know, I, mean, I haven't exactly memorized, but we know what they say. God, the Holy Spirit, can take those verses that have been hidden in our heart, bring them back to our mind, and apply them to the situation that we're facing even today. I have a, fr- I can't say he's a friend. I met a man one time. I've known him from a distance and I admire him deeply. Because of his, first of all, because of his athletic ability. Second of all, because of his love for God. And I should probably reverse the order of that. But you talk about one of the finest athletes in the history of college football and one of the finest athletes in the history of the NFL, in the Hall of Fame. Strong, powerful. I mean, the picture of health. 53 years old. And I found out last night, and you probably saw it if you had any of the sports channels on, that he is in a hospital in Los Angeles and he's being tested for throat cancer. I'm talking about Michael Irvin, former wide receiver of the Dallas Cowboys, 53 years old. And he hasn't gotten the results back from the biopsy. Back in November, after a football game, and I watched that game against the New Orleans Saints, the Cowboys beat the Saints, and Michael Irvin got too excited and he lost his voice. But they just thought he lost his voice because he yelled too much, and now they're thinking maybe he has throat cancer because... His, his father died of throat cancer at 51. His brother died of stomach cancer and is really young. And, but anyway, so this is all out on social media. And even though I don't put anything on social media, I like to follow what some people are saying out there on social media. But Michael Irvin said all of his life, this demon of fear about dying with cancer has followed him because of how his daddy died and now his brother died and he's afraid it's in, you know, it may be in his genes and he's been scared. And my, you talk about a strong man. I would not mess with, if I was twice as big as I am and twice as strong, I would not cross Michael Irvin. He's tough. He's a man's man. And yet he said, you go home tonight and look it up. On, uh, just look, Michael Irvin, Twitter and Instagram, read what he said. He said, I am terrified in all caps. And I thought, this guy who is the epitome of strength. He's human, too. Who wouldn't be scared to get a diagnosis or possibly have a diagnosis like that? So what does he need right now? Does he need right now to know? Well, it was in 1 Samuel 17 where David fought Goliath. It doesn't matter if he knows where that chapter is. It doesn't even matter if he knows the numbers of the verse. But he needs tonight, wherever he is in Los Angeles, to know that this battle he's facing is not his. This battle is the Lord's. And he, not just that verse, so many verses about fear and trusting God, and God will keep you in perfect peace. In fact, I texted James Brown today because they're friends, and I said, James, I, my dad and I got to meet him, Michael, one time when we were with you at a ball game, and I said, I don't have any way of reaching out to him. I don't know how to contact him, and I'm not asking you to give me his cell number. He wouldn't even know who I am. But I said, if you happen to talk to him, give him Isaiah 26.3. God will keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on him. See, that's what he needs tonight. And I'm sure he's getting that from his pastor in Dallas and others. But the point is, if you have some verses stored away in your heart, when you get out there in life and circumstances turn against you and people turn against you and the medical report turns against you and your supervisor turns against you and your family turns against you and everything falls apart, if you have hidden God's Word in your heart, God will bring it back and you will be able to press through whatever you're facing in the power of God. Now, what I want to do tonight, we don't have much time remaining. I want to show you, and I'm not going to preach a sermon on any of what I'm about to show you because that would really slow this thing down. I'm not going to do it. We're going to get out of here on time. But I want to begin tonight in John chapter 1, and I want us to go through chapter 21. If you have your Bible, it's a good night to bring your Bible. If you have a pen or a pencil, it's a great night to have that. And I want to read to you a key verse, or in some chapters, maybe more than a key verse, out of each chapter of the Gospel of John. And when it's over, you're going to say, well, I never knew all that was in there. I didn't know they were so close together. And so that's what I want to just give you this tonight, okay? And there's be a lot of good ones I'm leaving out. But uh, in the interest of time, I'm going to be a lot of good ones I'm going to show you. John chapter 1, verse number 12. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh, a great Christmas verse, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Go to chapter 2. In verse number 5, this is the best advice in all the Bible. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was speaking, and she said, whatever he says to you, do it. I think of one minister who took that as his life verse. Whatever he says to you, do it. John chapter number 3, and in verse number 5, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And of course, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In John chapter 4, this is a tremendous passage. And in verse number 50, Jesus had just said to this man whose son was in very bad shape to go and uh, the man had said, ask Jesus, come heal his son. And Jesus said in verse 50, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. He had no proof that his son was healed, except Jesus said he's healed. And he, he believed it, and he turned around, and he went his way. When God gives you words, you got to go with that, whether you see any proof of that or not. John chapter 5, in verse number 44, Dr. R.T. Kendall, who comes here once a year, this is his life verse. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Jesus was saying, you people are more concerned about getting honor from each other than you are from God. So that is a tremendous, tremendous verse. Now go to John chapter number, you're in 6, look in verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Great verse. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
John chapter 7 now, verses 37 and 38. Tremendous, tremendous teaching Jesus gives. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Chapter 8, verse number 11. Jesus to the woman caught in adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery. She was guilty. It was not a rumor. She was caught. Here's what Jesus said to the lady. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Beautifully tender. In John chapter 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Down to verse 36, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So in my mind, chapters thir- verses 32 and 36, they kind of go together. It's talking about if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, you still with me? Say amen. I'm going to give you time. Make sure you're getting verses marked and underlined. I don't want to go too fast. Chapter 9. Here's a man who had been blind from birth. Jesus healed him, gave him his sight. They were asking this man what had happened. Who is this man who healed you? Well, he didn't know yet that it was the Savior of the world. And here's what the man said in verse 25. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's one of the greatest verses in the Bible. Let me tell you something. There's a lot about God I don't understand. One thing I know, once I was lost, now I'm saved. And you can say the same thing. John chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. We're familiar with 10, 10, but don't miss the verses on both sides. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, in John 10, also find verse 27. I like this verse, and I have it underlined and even checkmarked by it in my Bible. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, let's call a timeout right now. Something I started doing a few years ago that's been helpful for me may not help you. When I underline a verse in the Bible, I circle the number because it helps my mind. Again, part of getting these verses in our heart is seeing numbers. And so, for example, in my Bible, I have number 27 circled. So that may or may not help you, but it helps my eyes when I turn to it to find a verse that's not only underlined, if you circle it, the number becomes more real to you. Now, go to chapter 11. Jesus just found out that Lazarus was sick. This is a tremendous Bible verse. When I was diagnosed with kidney cancer in June of 2015, a man, in, a deacon in this church said he was reading his Bible one morning, and God, he read this verse, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, this is for John. And he, after the surgery was over, and they got that cancer out of me, and thank God I've was, was can, been cancer-free since, and thank God I pray I'll always be that way, I'm believing, praying and believing Jesus for that. But he, he shared this verse with me one day, and, 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 and it moved me. John 11, verse 4. Here's what Jesus said when he found out Lazarus was sick. This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Somebody here tonight may be battling a sickness, and maybe God the Holy Spirit will take that verse and speak it to you, and God will say, this thing you're facing, it's not going to kill you. Instead, God's going to turn it around, and it's going to be used for the glory of God. See, something like that moves me, and so I have it marked in my Bible. That's John chapter 11, verse 4. Go to verse number uh, 25. This is my father's favorite verse to quote at a funeral. It's his favorite verse about death. Well, actually, verse 26 is the one he uses. Verse 26. Jesus said, Whoever lives and believes in me 
shall never die. Bodies die, souls never die. Now go to chapter number 12. I particularly like this 26th verse where Jesus said, If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. Now here's what you want to see. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. You want to be honored by God? I'll tell you how to be honored by God. It's right here. Jesus told us. You devote your life to serving Jesus Christ, you'll be honored by God. So how's he going to honor you? Well, that's his business, brother. He's going to honor you. Verse 32, Jesus said, if I, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Tremendous verse. Now look in verse 13, or chapter 13, rather. And look in verse number uh, 33. Jesus said, or 34, rather, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There again, John, the Apostle John is the apostle of love. Now, look in chapter 14 in verse 1. We won't read all of this section, but you should know the first verse. It, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Down to verse 27. I hope I'm not going too fast for you to underline, but in verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So you've probably known that verse all your life, but did you know where it was? Did you know that was in John 14, 27? Well, you may have, but it'll help you to associate that. John chapter 15, verse 5. This may be next to Romans 8, 28 and 1 John 1, 9. John 15, 5 may be the most important verse in all the New Testament for Christians. Here's how you live the Christian life. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Down to verse 13. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now to chapter 16. I preached on this Sunday morning. Jesus said, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And then verse 33, tremendous verse to end out that chapter. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Chapter 17 and verse number 3. Jesus gives us a definition here of eternal life. He says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, 3 is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. The next verse after it is where Jesus said to his Father, I have done what you, I've completed the work that you sent me to do. Tremendous verse. Then in chapter 18, this is, I wouldn't say it's the most significant verse in the world, but it's interesting. In verse number 1, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met him there with his disciples. So when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he was always going to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's why Judas was able to find him there on this night. In chapter 19, I love verse number 11. Pilate is basically saying to Jesus, in fact, if you look in verse 10, Pilate said, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? 
Look what Jesus said in response to Pilate. Jesus said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who has delivered me to you has the greater sin. So he was saying to Pilate, Judas is more guilty than you are, but don't exempt yourself because you're guilty too. Now look in chapter 20. We're coming to the end now. In chapter 20, remember what Jesus said to uh, Thomas when he was trying to deal with those doubts? I love verse 29. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. He said to Thomas, you have believed because you have seen. Blessed are those, verse 29, who have not seen and yet have believed. And then we come to the last one. We'll look, well, look in chapter 20 and verse 31. These are written, here again is the purpose of the whole book, that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God, and that you may have life in his name. Now, there is one other chapter. So let me show you a verse in chapter 21 that you'll like. In verse 18. Jesus is restoring Simon Peter. I'm going to plan on preaching a sermon on this probably in uh, late May, sometime in May. But uh, he's told Peter to go feed his sheep. And then Jesus says to Peter, he prophesied how Peter would be killed. And, of course, it turned to be true. He says in verse 18, Most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Jesus was predicting Peter's death in Rome by being crucified upside down at the end of Peter's life. And it happened exactly like what Jesus said. And then verse 19, I love what Jesus said to Peter. These are the same two words. I almost get emotional thinking about it. The same two words that Jesus spoke to Peter three years earlier. On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, we read about it in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus called Peter and his brother Andrew to follow him. Now, three years have gone by, crucifixion, resurrection, in the midst of all that, Peter denied that he knew Jesus. Now Peter has forgiven him of that sin, recommissioned him into the ministry. Verse 19, touches my heart. This Jesus spoke, signifying what death he would glorify God, yes, but then what he said. And when he had spoken this, notice what Jesus said follow me. Same two words that Jesus gave him at the beginning. Now he is, after he's been forgiven, he's been recommissioned to the ministry. Jesus said to Peter, we're starting over. Follow me. What is forgiven is forgiven and forgotten. We're starting over. You follow me. And Peter followed him all the way the rest of his life and all the way to death. And so that's a lot of Bible verses tonight. But let me ask you this question. Do you feel like you know a little more about the Gospel of John than you did 30 minutes ago, 45 minutes ago? You take those verses that you've marked tonight. You know what? You've, you've been in a pretty intensive Bible study. I said 30 minutes. You've been in one for longer than that tonight, and I'm, I'm aware of it. I wouldn't even say when you go home tonight, look them up again. Here's what I would say. I'd say, God, I went to church, and, I, and oh, John, he didn't have a joke tonight, brother. He just unloaded the whole Gospel of John. <laughs> well, I did. And you've been very kind to listen for longer than normal time. But here's what I would say if I were you tonight. Go home, say, God, he just dumped a whole gospel in our lap and gave us a ton of verses. Now, Lord, if you want to bring any of those verses to my mind tonight, tomorrow, Friday, next week, I've hid them in my heart. You bring them out when I need to know them. Amen. Father, we love your word and we thank you for it. Power to save, power to change, power to comfort us when we're going through hard times. God, I pray now, and knowing that it's going to happen, 
that your Holy Spirit will take what's been hidden away tonight and bring it to our remembrance at just the right time. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, Amen and Amen.